1: Good morning. Welcome to Red Sea Radio. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm. And today is Wednesday, March the 10th, 2021, the Wednesday of the third week of Lent. And as I was mentioning to Thaddeus before
0: we went on the air, I'm already tired of Lent. Gene, just like Patrick said, you know, hang in there, man. You can derive some real spiritual benefits if you keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. I won't give up, but, uh, you know, I'm ready for Easter.
1: Yeah. And uh, I want to invite all of our listeners across the Red Sea Radio Network, uh, 88.5 KEDC in the Brazos Valley, 98.3 KYAR in the Central Texas area, and 107.9 KINF in the Palestine area. Uh, We've got a very busy show today. A lot of this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first part of this c- program was going to be live today, except if you're listening on Saturday, of course. And the second half is going to be a pre-recorded interview with Father Richard Simon, the host of Father Simon Says. And let's start out this morning with the prayer to St. Joseph, since this is the year of St. Joseph.
0: And it's the month of St. Joseph. And it is
1: the month of St. Joseph. It really is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the holy spirit amen Amen. O blessed joseph faithful guardian of my redeemer jesus christ protector of your chaste spouse the virgin mother of god i choose you this day to be my special patron and advocate and i firmly resolve to honor you all the days of my life therefore i humbly call on you to receive me as your adopted child to instruct me in every doubt to comfort me in every affliction to obtain from me all the knowledge and love of the sacred heart of Jesus, and finally to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. And I'll say amen. for all my family members too. Amen. In amen. name the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. A little bit about St. Joseph, uh, and maybe some of, someone has already mentioned it, but if you look at St. Joseph in the New Testament and you look at Joseph in the Old Testament, there are a lot of parallels there. Both of them had fathers named Jacob. Mm-hmm. Both of them rescued and saved people by going into Egypt. Joseph, the New Testament, did it in obedience to what the, the dreams and the angels said to him. Joseph, in the Old Testament, went not of his own volition, but he his going into Egypt, rescued the people of his family from starving to death in the famine that was in the promised land at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh. And they're both dreamers. They're both dreamers. Yes, they both responded to, were spoken to in dreams, mm-hmm. and so we can look at that. And I think there's a lot there that we can we can really see uh, that. God sometimes allows us to get into circumstances to put us where we need to be to do the next thing that he has desires for us. We can be we can be in a situation like Joseph, of the Old Testament, or we can be in a situation like Joseph, of the New Testament, where we are where we are. And we really don't want to get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. But God tells us to get out of Dodge. And so uh, we've got that situation.
0: Yeah, And uh, a great segue from that, Gene, is uh You know, there's probably millions of little children out there, young children who are in a situation uh, that they can be gotten out of through adoption. And uh, we just got an email from the USCCB today that starting today, March 10th through Thursday, March 18th, that's the vigil of St. Joseph's Feast Day. There's a novena for all of those. Uh, who are touched by adoption, whether they be the children themselves, potential parents, birth parents, praying for everyone, um, adoption agency, workers that they make prudential decisions, all the people that are a part of that process. And many of our listeners probably have adopted children or know people who have adopted uh, this novena, you're you're praying for them and you're uniting your Lenten sacrifices. For those folks as well, so you can go to the USCCB to learn more about that, and we'll put a post up on our Facebook page about that as well.
1: And adoption certainly is an alternative to abortion. I mean, indeed, it, and so you're you're actually pr- working doing something legitimately positive
0: toward the pro life movement, right? And our and our Lord was an adopted child of of Saint yeah. Joseph, right? Saint yeah. Joseph adopted okay.
1: him, and okay. uh, and this prayer is a. Uh, is a prayer for, uh, that has a plundering indulgence with it. I've got a guest coming on the line. I think he's, is he, on the, is he on the line now? He is, and he's about to be on the air with us. Hello, Scott. This is Gene Wilhelm. Hi, Car- Dave. I've got Scott Carter on the line, and Scott was my guest might be a year, year and a half ago. I don't remember how long ago. And we talked about Father Emil Capon, Capon uh, who was a chaplain, in the army during the Korean war who, and who died there. And you've got some really exciting news about what's going on in that whole process. He's a servant of God and he's uh COVID has kind of slowed down the process of getting him toward uh, being beatified. But what's the good news that came out? I think it was, was it Thursday or Friday of last week?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, both those days, kind of the, the news broke, but um uh, the Capon the family had received a call from the Department of Defense. They have a, an agency that uh, seeks to both recover and uh, identify the remains of, of soldiers uh, who had died or were missing in all of our nation's conflicts. And uh, the great news is that they actually had identified Father Capon's remains. And um, he's been in Hawaii the whole time. <laughs> but... Um, just super exciting news that, yeah, he's been found and uh, 95% intact. And so um, hopefully, you know, family will will get to meet him uh, for the first time soon and then bring him back here uh, as well for the rest of us.
1: When you say intact, do you mean his body is not corrupted?
2: Or? No, so I don't mean that, but... Okay. Um, just that there's, you know, like I think the mostly the skeletal remains. Okay. Um, it's it's 95 percent there, which is is quite remarkable. A lot of the remains that they've been able to identify uh, lately, you know, might be just some small fragment of bone. So to be able to have most of his his body is is fantastic news.
1: And and if, if, when we chatted, uh, I guess it was last week one day, you indicated that he had been what like in a mass grave, and then the the Chinese communist turned the body back over to the United States back in the 50s, and he was buried in the punch yeah, Bowl. Yeah,
2: so that's the big question is, how in the world did he get from North Korea to Hawaii? So he, he fought in the Korean War, was captured, and um, spent seven months in the prisoner of war camp just serving the men around him, giving them hope, um, taking care of them. But he eventually died from sickness and weakness because he was doing helping them out so much. And um, most of the men who died there in the camp were taken to the mass grave kind of along the river there. But uh, for whatever reason, the day that the men went to bury Father Capon, the the guards didn't go with them. And so they were actually able to bury him sort of in town behind one of the huts. And so uh, fast forward a couple of years when the prisoners were released and the, the townspeople were coming back kind of to take over the town again. Uh, they they've obviously found the remains, and then um, after the war, there was an exchange of remains on both sides. So we gave back some of the North Korean and Chinese remains. I think there was about 4,000 that we received. About 800 of those couldn't be identified, and they were interred in Hawaii, uh, with hopes that someday they would be identified with better technology. But uh, it took a long time because uh, they dipped them in formaldehyde to try and protect the bones, They it ended up eating away a lot of the DNA. So it was really only in the last three years or so that uh, the agency that uh, works to identify these bones, uh, these remains, has made a lot of progress in being able to to grab the DNA from them and then match it to to donors. So it's really remarkable. And I think it's a a great testimony to our heritage that uh, we, as Americans, still work to try and bring back the remains and identify them of of those who have passed away, uh, fighting for our freedom.
1: You've got, we've got about one minute left in this particular segment where we're going to be on. You want to tell us a little bit about the pilgrimage that's coming up in June. So if people want to participate in this pilgrimage and tell just tell what it is and when it is and, and where you would meet and who, where they would get information about this.
2: Sure thing. So first of all, um, there's a lot of work to be done and decided still with the family on where the remains and when they'll be coming back. So, we don't know if they'll be here by June, but uh, first Sunday in June, which this year is June 6th, is always our annual Father Capon Day. And there's a, a walking pilgrimage, if anyone's up for it, from Wichita to Pilsen. It's about 60 miles spread out over four days. And you can learn more at uh, our website. There's a little bit, a uh, little tab there that you can find it. And the website is uh, just fathercapon.org. So, F R K A P A U N. Dot
1: org. Thank you so much, Scott, for taking the time to share with this exciting news about Father Capon. And uh, it, I really appreciate your time, and I'm sure that our listeners have benefited from hearing what you had to say.
0: Where, and again, it's one always, more time, where did they, they,
1: they find out more about Father Capon and, and, uh, and the process that's going on right now in the status?
2: Yeah, so that's all at F R K A P A U N F-R-K-A-P-A-U-N.org.
1: Thank you, Scott. We'll talk to you again uh, sometime soon, I hope. Thank you. Have Absolutely. a good day.
2: Thanks, Gene. You too.
1: Okay, so that to me, that's exciting news because yeah. I I went to the high school that was named for the man, and and uh, th- there was a cross in there that a Jewish man had—or a crucifix, actually, that a Jewish man had put together uh, in the prison camp.
0: Yeah, and, uh, he, and he served— um, Prisoners of all of all faiths and no yes. faith, and sustained men and, of, of yeah,
1: every and, background. And at fathercaping.org, you can see a number of things. That there's actually a uh, I don't know if it's one or a series of of things, uh, videos where actually people who were in the prison camp with him were interviewed, and, and they were and
0: they're very old. So yeah. just and we'll, when we uh, when we post the the podcast of this, we'll have uh, we'll have Caitlin uh, put a link to to your. Your interview with Scott Carter from back a year ago okay. so people can can find that as well. Okay.
1: And we got one more thing we want to talk about and yeah. that is the fact that the COVID relief bill did more than relief for COVID and in the apart with uh I'm getting emails about Biden care. So uh, that in that particular thing, they did not put in the protections from the Hyde Amendment. Explain to us a little bit about what the Hyde Amendment is, Uh
0: Yeah, the Hyde Amendment was a, a bipartisan agreement that uh, has a 45-year history uh, in federal uh, spending, leg- any, any federal legislation that directs federal funds, that uh, those funds are not going to be used to pay for abortion or abortifacient drugs. And that's something that has lasted for 45 years. And this, this uh, COVID relief bill is the first bill since the original um, institution of that Hyde amendment. Henry Hyde was the U S congressman who put that into place. I believe he was a Catholic from Pennsylvania. I think so. I'm working off the top of my head here. Um, But this is, this is something that we encourage all of our listeners to, uh, write your u s representative write your u s Senator express that your disappointment that that this was allowed to happen and uh try to stiffen their backbone um, write the write Archbishop Vasquez or Archbishop Strickland to our listeners in Palestine. let them know that you care about this and that you want the bishops to speak and to continue to speak on the egregious um uh, Tragedy that this is. They they did speak out and their in their disappointment on this on this matter. But we need to keep keep it in the public consciousness. So, um, I think that's the most effective thing to do.
1: Well, the other thing that's very effective and and it's not quite as um, in your face type of thing. But prayer. I of course. And, uh, I think I should have mentioned the, the, that. First. Couple of things. Well, no, you shouldn't have. But that's fine. Uh, couple of prayers that, that I come come to my mind immediately. And want, the first one is pray. Four. All those in power in this country at all levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I would say pray for those people who claim to be Catholic, who are in power, that don't seem to reflect Catholic values, that they have a yep. conversion of heart. Yep. And I'd say the third thing to pray for is that somehow this whole mess, get back to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court have the courage to make the
0: decisions that are in accordance with God's law. Amen, Gene. Well said. Very, very well said. And, and so that's going to bring us to the end of this first part of the show. And Let's end on a happy note. Tell, tell the folks what we've got coming up next.
1: Well, we have got probably my favorite personality that's on Red Sea Radio, and that's Father Richard Simon, Father Simon Says. Uh, we recorded this interview, I guess, about a week ago, and we are going to be having him just here in a couple of minutes. And I thank you so much for listening. We will be back right after these few messages. <laughs> welcome back to red sea roundup i'm your host gene wilhelm and i have a what i consider a very special guest today someone that i've learned to know and love uh, over the years of listening to him on relevant radio here on red sea roundup uh red sea radio pardon me uh father richard simon hello father simon how are you today
3: well, considering the ravages of old age, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. How are you?
1: Well, I'm, I'm a lot more ravaged than you are as far as old age goes.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I'm catching up fast. Uh,
1: to our listeners, I'm going to say that, that this uh, interview was pre-recorded, and uh, so we, we won't be able to take any phone calls uh, for this, as much as that disappoints me. Uh, and all of you listeners... In our audience in KEDC 88.5 in Bryan College Station, KYAR 98.3 in the Waco area, and KINF 107.9 in Palestine. Welcome back to the program. Father Simon, you are heard here every day. I think we we run your program later than it uh, comes off the network, but it's one of the more enjoyable things that I've that i listen to on the on catholic radio uh thank you and uh as i was telling you uh whenever we spoke last week i believe it was that uh that uh father albert has uh, is my other one of my other favorites that's been on relevant radio and i just really enjoy your sense of humor
3: well thank you yeah father albert has you've uh, got quite a sense of humor too right I, I don't know. You know, some people think it's funny. Some people don't. But eh, whatever. Well, well, you can't well, please everyone.
1: <laughs> what I appreciate is that you don't take yourself too seriously. I mean, then oh, you, it
3: would be hard for me to okay. take myself too seriously. I have so many people who help me not do that. But <laughs> I digress. <had to> <laughs> do
1: you have a I I looked at your biography at Saint Lambert's web. Website And uh, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: you you know a little bit about your history based on some of the things I've heard you say in the air. Uh, You come from a very ethnic background. Uh, You want to talk to us a little bit about your uh, childhood and how that influenced your life?
3: Well, it's kind of funny because we didn't think of ourselves as ethnic.
1: (laughs) No, everybody else were the strangers.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But then as I got older, I realized how very German I was. My grandmother was born in this country. Her mother was born in this country, my dad's mom. Uh, And she was very proud of the fact that she was, as she would call it, a third generation American. She had a German accent to the day she died. She grew up in a small town in Michigan where they spoke German. And uh, I remember my mother uh, saying, we don't eat German food. Everybody eats ham hocks and sauerkraut. (laughs) Ma, when I got out of the house, I said, "We're, we're really pretty Ethnic. And then, of course, uh, we rediscovered the cousins in Germany kind of lost contact during the unpleasantness of the 20th century. And they'd been looking for us, and we ended up finding them. And uh, so it was just kind of a very, we were very aware of our ethnicity uh, in a funny kind of way. So uh, um, it, it was, uh, and it was very German Catholic. I think most people don't think of German Catholics, Germans are Lutherans. But we were German Catholics. Well, I think and, that depends and, upon and, whether
1: you're from the north or the south of Germany, for the most part, doesn't it?
3: Um, and we're northern, we're northern German Catholics. Believe it or not, there mm. are such things. It's a little, a little kind of enclave of, uh, uh, oh, five or six little towns and small cities. A, a city was some place that had a city charter, and so we were. My mother's mother's family came from a city of 2000 people, but it had been a city since the middle ages, which means people weren't searched. They were free. My father's family, uh, my father's mother's family comes from a town about five miles down the road. Um, and uh, um, uh, from that little place in Germany, they were a village uh, which didn't have a city charter and uh, but they're very Catholic. You see, there was this Catholic monastery uh, on a, a volcanic cone of all places. And in the, the wars of religion, the area just essentially remained Catholic because of this fortified monastery. So when oh, people used to, used to be able to fight about religion with canons, it was, uh, I don't know that I recommend it. But you know, that was, that was kind of, you know, that, that, to be a northern German Catholic means you're Catholic. This mm-hmm. is who you are. Yes. And uh, um, so that's kind of the, I got a big kick out of the, the not too far from you, uh, is it Frederick where there's... Fredericksburg? Uh, yeah, Frederick, where it's, it's a German, they actually speak, the old folks still speak German down there.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, my parents both got, came, came from German-speaking communities in Kansas, and there's one of the communities out near where my mother grew up, where as late as the 60s, they had to have a priest that spoke German because... Most of the p- older people didn't know how to make a confession in, Ger- in English.
3: Oh yeah, my my grandfather, who was born here, uh, he could he could only sin in German, so. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it's a funny kind of thing that, that I think it I think it's it's um, interesting to talk about that sort of thing now because uh, we are returning. You know, the idea that I'm I'm Catholic because I'm Irish or I'm German Catholic. That that era is ending. The only good reason to be a Catholic now is because it's the truth. Yes. And uh, I think that, that I think that's significant. When we think about our ethnicities as Americans. I mean, my parents were very proud of being American. Uh, but but somehow, and it is a neat thing about this country that, that that it accommodates these different ethnicities. And to be an American is 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 kind of an idea, and an idea of which I'm for which I'm very grateful. Uh, you know the idea that, that to, to be an American is to is to value freedom and government and and good government and uh, interesting times. Well, at any anyway, rate, enough of well,
1: that. While you are talking about freedom, give talk to us a little bit about what it means to be free in in the sense the Catholic sense of freedom. I mean, it's yeah, not it's yeah. not free, freedom to be licentious, is it?
3: No, I th- you know, freedom, when most people talk about freedom, they, it's freedom to give in to one's own desires. But for a Catholic, freedom is, is the ability to to do the right thing. It's, it's the ability to serve God by doing the right thing. Uh, and so it takes education, it takes moral strength, um, that, that it isn't just about gratifying my desires. It's, it's primarily about the ability to do the right thing. And, and even in a world of slaves, we can be free because we can desire to do the right thing even if they, even if they kill us. Uh, so freedom is, is, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, the biggest obstacle to my own freedom, my passions, my desires. And uh, uh, as a Catholic and as an American, my job is to do the right thing.
1: That's so hard to do. While we talk about that, you talked about education. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your educational background and uh, your earliest <laughs> days? Because uh, one of the things that, that your uh, biography at St. Uh, Lambert's talks about, I don't think I was academically inclined. <laughs> you, well, you,
3: <laughs> I don't know how academically inclined I was. This was I in grade was, school.
1: I, this We're talking about grade uh, school there.
3: Oh, yeah. In grade school – you know, I, I I was left-handed, and uh, I came from a very smart family, but I'm not the sharpest pull on the porcupine, at least as far as my family's concerned. concerned. Um, and so uh, they just put me in first grade. Uh, I never went to kindergarten. Of course, all the kids know how to do things like tie their shoes, their ABCs, and how to add and subtract a, a few basic numbers, whereas I, I had grown up as a free-range child, and uh, uh, that took them a while to— slap me around until I could do things like read a book. Uh, so I, I didn't, you know, I, I was not thought of as uh, a great <laughs> prodigy in grade school or in high school. In fact, is I remember winning some academic award in high school, and the faculty, some of the faculty were actually kind of angry about it because, well, I, <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to win it.
1: <laughs> but it must they have been something that to... <laughs> it must have been something that you really enjoyed, or you wouldn't have done well in it
3: well there you go i it just um uh, i i i guess I I, I I always i enjoy languages and and uh, that 's where it of was a springboard to 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 history and to a few other things and yeah i i I do enjoy learning and i think a, a lot of people who are academics don 't enjoy learning <laughs> it 's kind of a duty i i, yeah. I don 't know if uh, that 's another thing about well, being german to be a german. Uh, is, uh, have you ever seen that old Marlene Dietrich movie, uh, the blue
1: angel? Uh, it's been a while.
3: Yeah. In which the, the college professor ends up as a circus clown. That's the <laughs> ultimate German nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, I watch that movie and you go oh but you know, the, the academic excellence is very important. And, uh, um, Intellectual curiosity sometimes is not. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I, I think that uh, to, to educate a child well is to make them curious.
1: Well, was your and, family uh, uh, shocked when you said, "I want to become a priest"? And 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 oh, how-
3: no, 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 not at all. In fact, is they kind of were actively dismissive of it. <laughs> because I wasn't material for the priesthood, I mean I wasn't that smart. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> so you were a Saint you know, Saint Joseph Capistrano or a uh, a Curie that, of yeah, ours it, type. That's more, yeah,
3: yeah. That I, I, I did well ultimately, uh, academically, kind of amazed them. Uh, mm-hmm. But well, uh, I mean, my father was a very well educated, and my mother too. Uh, they were both. Uh, uh, they were born in dad was born in 1905. They they both were college grads and their parents had been to college. So came from a long tradition of of, uh, German academic uh, striving, I suppose. And I wasn't that interested in, you know, I remember my father when I told him I was going to major in the Greek language or I wanted to take Greek. uh, uh, I had an opportunity in my last year of high school to learn ancient Greek. I said, that sounds really cool. My father said, "What you can barely add? Why would you want to take Greek?" <laughs> my father was essentially a bookkeeper, accountant, and my mother was a math major. I remember my mother saying, "Oh, Richard, how can you not love math?" <laughs> and, Ma, let me explain. So, uh, they were they were smart cookies, my folks, and, uh, and not so much me, but. Uh, it worked out. It worked out. I, I well, that obviously it obviously
1: has. When, when did you first think that you might want or be being called to be a priest? And how did, how did that vocation develop?
3: Oddly enough, when I was 10, I remember the afternoon. Uh, uh, we had a vocation day and you were supposed to dress up as what you wanted to be. And I had been not very, you know, was it the, who said that, that uh, paying attention is 50% of life. I don't pay attention. And so I, I'd forgotten it was vocation day. And, and uh, the teacher said, well, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I thought, I don't know. And so I went home. Uh, uh, I lived very close to school. So let me go home and change into something. That, and then I said, what do I want to be? And I thought, I want to be a priest. I remember the afternoon uh, or the morning. I, I remember standing there cutting a piece of white cardboard to make a little collar. And I had a black suit and I said, I want to be a priest. That was at 10 years old. And, and I, you know, then the sixties happened. I wasn't sure I wanted to be a priest, but then I got involved in the, in the Pentecostal with the charismatic renewal. And that just made me want to be a priest more than anything. So, but it was, it was, a, it was an afternoon uh, when I was in sixth grade at the age of 10. I remember wow. well.
1: Then it did, it did was, you waver from that along the way?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, when I got into... The '60s in college—you're old enough to remember the '60s. Oh yes,
1: I do. I, I lived Why through them. Know? Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, they say if you remember the '60s, you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't remember them well, quite frankly. Yeah, and and um, you know that that I wasn't—you know—I was in seminary, but seminary wasn't very seminary, and and I went to Loyola. You know, and you know, I. I, I uh, there was, it was through that experience of the Holy Spirit that I was really confirmed in my desire to be a priest, and, and I, I really knew by the time I got to um, my last couple years of, of college that that's, that's what I wanted more than anything
0: so it's,
1: and, ama- it's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do in spite of us
3: Oh gosh, yeah it is amazing. I mean I have worked very hard at resisting the Holy Spirit my whole life and, it hasn't been very successful. So, you know, I'm always telling people God has this problem. He thinks he's God. So, you know, so far he's making the point eloquently in my life, despite so, my best efforts.
1: So what did you study in college and in seminary?
3: Well, I, I uh, um, you know, seminary, you know, the seminary. I went to high school seminary. Oh, um, you did? Uh, oh, yeah, I went to high school seminary. It was it was not a live-in seminary. It was just a high school, regular high school, that but it was an amazing education. Uh, we would, it was, it was routine to study three languages at a time in that school. You know, you took Latin, you took a, a foreign language uh, and, and uh, they offered Greek in senior year. And, you know, I, I think in my high school class, there were 40 boys, or my grade school class, there were, um, I want to say there were 40 boys. Mm-hmm. 20 of them entered seminary, because that's what you did, especially if you were in trouble with the nun. You (laughs) entered the seminary and you were golden. But I I went in because I had started thinking about the priesthood when I was just a kid, you know? And, uh, um, uh, you know, my family was was devout. uh, I mean, prayer was, you know, just an integral part of our life. And uh, so it didn't seem odd to want that at that age. Uh, But then I went to the seminary, and and it was this excellent education um, uh, that, that, uh, as I say, you learn three languages. Uh, Of course, you took science and math. I still don't know what algebra is about, but somehow I managed to pass it. Um, But uh, it was just this great education. And then the 60s happened. Um, Actually, I started becoming politically active in high school. uh, In the Vietnam War, my sister was a great... uh, my oldest sister was a great political activist, and she would always have me doing these things for her, like collecting soap and hard candy for orphans in Vietnam kind of thing. And uh, so I was kind of politicized. Uh, and then I got into college and really did get kind of left. And then, um, uh, then, as I say, the, the inconsistencies of the leftists. I remember the peace committee at school broke down the middle during peace week. <laughs> you know, it just, it was, I'll never forget that. There were those who were violently nonviolent and those who were nonviolently nonviolent. Uh, <laughs> violence against the violent was not violence. I mean, this was this was kind of a psycho babble that we still hear today.
0: Yes. And
3: um, I just realized this is nuts. I, I can't be part of this anymore. And then I got involved with uh, the prayer groups, and, and that really uh, renewed my desire to, to be a priest.
1: I'm just curious uh, how. What was the impetus to get you involved in the prayer groups where God could get back hold of you in a way that uh, he he wanted to?
3: I was on a committee. <laughs> Seriously, there was a, uh, I was I think a freshman in college, and I was on a committee, an ecumenical committee, and somebody heard about this new movement. This would have been 1967, the very mm-hmm. beginning of that. Would be the very Catholic beginning, pedicure.
1: right shortly after. Oh yeah, uh, after. Uh, Oh.
3: Yeah, the Notre Dame, the Notre yeah. Dame event, right at the beginning. And, and I remember I uh, was on this committee and someone said, there's this movement uh, that has everybody, even some Jewish people and Protestants and Catholics. And I was on this ecumenical committee. We were supposed to prepare an ecumenical service or something. And and uh, I said, I think my sister, the same sister who got me involved politically, I think my sister knows some people in that movement. So I got a phone number and called and I spoke to this woman on the phone for about an hour And uh, she was just brilliant. And I said, where'd you learn all this? she said, oh, that's not me talking. That's the Lord talking. And I thought, oh, she's nuts. And I said, what's the speaking in tongues? And I thought that would be very useful for someone who was a language major. And uh, she said, oh, that's you can speak in tongues now if you want to. It's nothing. And that was my introduction to, to Pentecostal charismatic renewal. And I. Knelt down to say my prayers at night, which I had no—I stopped doing that. I knelt down to pray again, as I had when I was a kid, and out came all these words. And I thought, "Now you've done it. You've had a breakdown. You're nuts." So I called this woman up in the morning and basically said, "What did you do to me?" And she started laughing. That was my introduction to Pentecostals. (laughs) So (laughs) it was quite an adventure those years. Let me tell you. So, but but I think go on. on.
1: So you were you were uh, in. Loyola, Chicago, and in a, mm-hmm. on a seminarian's track at that time. Yep. And God had to get a hold of you again.
3: Oh, boy, did he. He got a hold of me. And it was kind of rough because there were all sorts of people who, um, who wanted to say, well, you can't be Catholic and, and charismatic. You're going to have to leave the church. And I just – I had this instinct that this was the birthright of the church. The Blessed Mother was there at Pentecost and prayed in tongues. This was the birthright of the church. The first popes and the martyrs and the saints had all been spiritual people. And and I just made the decision, I'm not leaving the Catholic church, I'm staying in the church. And I I shied away from the the, the Pentecostal movement then. Uh, And the the group that I was with ended up being a cult. They got got taken over by a minister, uh, a Methodist minister who just would decide what color their kitchen walls were gonna be. And eventually the group broke up. But um, I, I uh, warmed up again to the, the idea of Catholicism and Charismatic Renewal and of all places the Trappist Monastery where they had a prayer group and uh, that's kind of where I got re-zapped, I always say, mm. that, that the Lord pulled me back in and, and I got involved very, very much, with, especially with Spanish-speaking charismatics. So uh, I was the Cardinal liaison for Spanish prayer groups here in Chicago for a while mm. and uh, That was, I was in charge of that hurricane, Uh, (laughs) it was really something.
1: I'm going to remind our listeners that you're listening today to an interview with Father Richard Simon, the host of Father Simon Says, that you hear on these stations at two o'clock in the afternoon, and you are listening either on KEDC 88.5 FM in Bryan College Station, KYAR, 98.3 98.3 in Waco area or KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. And our interview today is pre-recorded. So we won't be taking any phone calls. So what did you study in, in college? Did you, did you do languages again primarily? Yep, I mean,
3: I was, my major was Greek, uh, classical Greek, and my minor was Latin. I had kind of a double minor, philosophy and Latin. So, uh that's what I did. I studied Greek and Latin and uh, didn't learn too much. But uh, um, uh, there was years later, uh, there was a a committee from the Vatican of all places coming to the seminaries to certify them. I mean, they were American bishops, but they were delegated by the Vatican to make sure that they were up to snuff seminaries. And uh, St. John Paul uh, said when he was Pope that You have to have a minimum of two years of Latin as a seminarian. We didn't even offer Latin, so um, they drafted me real quick. That was an experience. Let me tell you about that. Um, I was invited to a Mass in honor of Our Lady of Guadalupe with some of the students from my parish at the seminary. And, you know, I'm not very mystical, you know, (laughs) at all. But uh, believe it or not, I'm not. I'm pretty practical. I walked into the seminary basement on my way to the sacristy. And they were trying to get me to teach at the high school, which was no longer really a seminary. And high school teaching is cruel and unusual punishment. I did not want to teach anything at the high school. And uh, I walked into uh, the the, the basement of the college seminary, and I heard a voice that was so close to audible that I turned around to look who was talking. And it just said, you're not going to teach Latin at at, uh, the high school. You're going to teach Latin here. And I walked into the sacristy, the Dean looked at me and said, you want to teach Latin and Greek here next year? I said, okay. I <laughs> had <a> 30 <laughs> seconds warning that really happened. And, uh, 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 you know, because they needed to pass this, this exam. And then uh, <laughs> they figured they could dump me like a bad habit after, uh, after they'd passed the, uh, the um, you know, this, this uh, commission and uh, uh, well, I was there for 25 years. That's the way to learn a language. You
1: you weren't a student at that time, were you? You you had graduated? No,
3: no, I was ordained, and I've been 10 years ordained. And, and, uh, you know, this was just they needed an emergency Latin and Greek teacher. And the dean, who was a classmate of mine, said, You could do it. You're not that smart, but neither are the students. You'll do fine. So, <laughs> so, so I got drafted, and the 25 years later, I finally stopped teaching dead languages to comatose seminarians.
1: And now you're so, teaching. Now you're teaching languages to coman. Comatose radio listeners.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, you got to yell a lot. When you, if, you, if you have the period immediately after lunch, I learned as a teacher, you have to yell a lot, <laughs> which I did. I would, I would say yell every fifth word for no good reason. It keeps people awake.
0: Yeah.
1: So that uh, so, you also, you know, listening to you on the radio, you also have a certain amount of fi- familiarity with biblical Hebrew.
3: Yes, I, I, yeah, I took Hebrew. I had, I had tutors in Hebrew since nobody offered it. Uh, I figured why not go the whole shot? If I'm going to learn Greek, I'll learn some Hebrew. My Hebrew, I have to admit, really stinks, but I can I can handle a little bit of it. You know, Hebrews v- the verbs in Hebrew are very difficult. It's not an Indo-European language. Yes. you know Greek, Latin; those are distantly related to English and German and all the modern languages we speak. But Hebrew is uh, it's 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 closely related to Arabic and. Uh, uh, and uh, Aramaic, and and it's, it's the verbs are tough, but but you know there's so many you can find so many helps to learning Hebrew or reading Hebrew on on the web that I really think anybody can do it. So you know, it's, don't tell anybody that I'm cheating. I use a computer.
1: Well, so. I, I know that, and and your computer. Uh, y- I, I, I was thinking today, as I was getting ready for this, that perhaps you need to have the exorcist come out and work on your computer.
3: <laughs> come out, foul demon of, of, of computing. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, I, yeah, computers, and, and I never, you know, I, you know, 20 years ago, I don't think, or 15 years ago, I don't think I could turn, well, let's see, no, about 20 years ago, I don't think I could turn a computer on. And now I sit in front of three and four of them, and and uh, that, that uh, there are a few things in my life that 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 surprise me. One that I use computers, and two that I speak Spanish. Those both amaze me. <laughs> I, I I never studied Spanish and never wanted to learn it. It just sort of happened.
1: Was that so, was that one of your first parish assignments in a, a, a Hispanic parish?
3: Oh yes, oh yes, I I was. Uh, i mean in chicago there's a very large spanish speaking community and there's such delightful people and uh i oddly enough fell in with puerto Ricans who who uh I, you know i think most of the people in your listening area who are who are spanish speakers would be tejanos or or Mexican in their background yes. Puerto Ricans are very different they are exciting <laughs> and well Mexicans can be too but but their their spanish is is uh is
1: um it's
3: very very it's
1: it's it's unique, isn't it? It's,
3: it's unique. It's understandable. I mean they're mutually understandable languages. But it's just when a Mexican sees a big white guy like me talking talking Puerto Rican, they they automatically start laughing. It's really kind of fun. So it's uh, uh for all of your Mexican listeners, I don't know if they've ever heard the phrase I bendito which is Puerto Rican for you, poor thing. <laughs> so I bendito. So <laughs> I got you. So, so my Puerto Rican is is uh, it, it works, but it's once once they get used to it, it works. But the the first reaction to me speaking Spanish is is amusement. So <laughs> t- that's been a real that's been a real blessing in my life to to meet uh, um, Latin people. They they really are, you know. There's something about the the ethos which is genuinely Catholic. I mean, it's 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 uh, and and I find a great kinship with them because. You know, we may be different ethnically, uh, but the faith really does tie us together. And, and uh, uh, that's a beautiful thing, I think, that, that uh, faith, you know, I, I mentioned about uh, America, you know, and the way to be American is to have a certain faith, a faith in, in the equality of people and, and the, uh, the common good, uh, you know, a, a democratic republic you know that that, that it, it is kind of a faith i'm not i'm not american because i'm from a german background certainly but i'm american mm-hmm. you know and and uh um it's it's a kind of it's a kind of belief in in the rule of law and and the genuine equality of people which we struggled over for 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 decades and decades and centuries right. uh and, and i find that that uh the faith is like that, too, that, that, that I, I, I feel very close to Spanish-speaking people because they're not unlike the people I grew up with,
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know, that, that if you can see past the, 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 the cultural differences into the, into the belief in, in, in the goodness of God. So, I don't know, just thinking about that.
1: I've got want to change topics just a little bit. Sure. How, in the, how was it that you got into radio— And when did that happen, and how did it happen? If
3: you, if you ever find out, tell me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't. There had to be a first time.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, Chuck Neff, who recently retired, is in the process of retiring uh, on the Inner Life on 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 Relevant Radio. Chuck Neff called me and said, "Would you like to be a spiritual director occasionally (laughs) on uh, on the Inner Life?" And I said, "Mm, "Okay." And somehow, then one day, Father Rocky called and said, do "You want to be part of uh, one of three priests who's going to do a show? Go ask your father." And I said, it's "Okay." And then a while after that, you want your own show? I said, "Okay." <laughs> that was another another prophetic experience. Oddly enough, a friend of mine who is a genuine prophetic gift. I mean, uh, she you know when she calls and says, "Father Rich, I've been praying for you." Think, oh no, what have I done now, Lord? You know, that that she will get a word uh, from the Lord for you. And she called and she said, I don't know. I saw this red chair and they're going to give you a teaching chair. I don't know what this means. And um, uh, the next day they called and said, you want to do a show? I said, okay. <laughs> you know, that, those are my two most mystical experiences I've shared. Uh, but uh, it just, I, 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 I think I've been going at it for maybe, gosh, when did I start? I think I started about. Oh, gosh, I want to say somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago. Wow! I mean, with the, the interview with Chuck Neshow, but I have no idea how he stumbled on me. Uh, I have a friend who said, oh, I recommended you, and maybe he did. I don't know. But uh, it was Chuck.
1: Uh, so, I'm going to remind our listeners again that we have Father Richard Simon, the host of Father Simon Says, uh, that you hear here on Red Sea Radio. And I want to thank all of our listeners for listening today, those on KEDC 88.5 FM in Bryan College Station area, KYAR 98.3 in the Waco area, and KINF 107.9 in the Palestine area. Father, uh, I, I do this broadcast once a month. I can't imagine doing a program once a day. The preparation work that you do must be uh, more than, than I can imagine.
3: Oh, you're so kind. <laughs> I, I, I prepare, but you know, I remember Fulton Sheen was once asked how long he prepared his sermons, and he said these 25 years. I mean, uh, the life of, I think, all Christians, but especially the clergy, the life of, of, of the priest is just profoundly wrapped up with Scripture. Um, you know, we, we we preach on a daily basis, usually, we, if we're saying Mass every day, which is customary. And, uh, you know, you just, you know, it's always funny that when people say, well, Catholics don't read the Bible. I was raised on the Bible. And, and, you know, well, we might not sit down and read the Bible all the time, but we go to church on a regular basis. And it's always considered a desirable thing to go to daily Mass. We're getting Bible constantly. And, you know, I, I I I've read the scriptures two or three times before I do a program, and if I weren't doing a program, I would still be reading them two or three times uh, with the day, and and it's just it's been an immersion of my life, and uh, you know, so it's 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 I don't I don't know that I I prepare at all in that sense, uh, I I you know, I just am talking about what my life is, which is trying to hear God speaking and to answer, uh, to understand and to answer as well as I can, that it's, it's, it's you know, and and, and then when I get questions and letters, some, you know, I try to prepare the letters and try to review them, and uh, sometimes that works, and I, and I miss the line, and it's a real, it's a real difficult line, but, uh, you know, you do that, but but it's, it's, um, I, I don't find it arduous at all. I really don't.
1: You, you obviously enjoy what you're doing, even when you're fighting with your computer. Uh,
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and it, I, it, I do enjoy most of it. I, I, I'm <laughs> curious, uh, do you have a particular software that you use to look up these scriptures, or do you just look them up on, on the Internet somehow, or how do you go about don't doing tell
3: that? tell anyone. It's my great secret. Everyone stop listening. I love Bible Hub. It, oh, it's yes. Just, you know, Bible Hub, it, you, 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 you just, you know, you have a verse and it's like uh, you just type it in and then type Bible Hub in after. And uh, then there's a, another little button you push and it, it gives you the Greek text. And it does, it transliterates both the Greek and Hebrew into English, you know, Roman letters, English letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so anybody can use it to some advantage.
1: So so um, so uh, any any of our uh, listeners that's that's doing a Bible study and say, well, I really don't know what that word means. Can just type that verse into Bible Hub sure. and, and see what the Greek and the Hebrew mean or Hebrew means.
3: Or for a Catholic, when you know, I, I love what Scott Hahn says about Catholics that a Protestant might know the Bible the way that uh, a postman knows the neighborhood. He knows the addresses. But a Catholic knows it the way that someone who lives in the neighborhood knows might not know the address, but he knows where that is. You know, uh I was raised on scripture and a verse goes through my head and I don't know, you know, which where it is. You just type it in and and the Bible hub will generally find the verse. It's pretty easy. And you can sound like you actually know why well, of course that's first Peter the fifth chapter. Yeah, right. I knew that all along. Yeah. <laughs> but uh <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, but um, that that uh, it's it's very easy to do, and uh, and you just fool with it and learn. You know, you you go down the page a little further than you did, and oh, that's interesting. So uh, it's it's a it's a good tool for people, even those who don't know Greek or Hebrew. Uh, so I, I I've learned to use that, uh, despite my. Uh, ineptitude with computers.
1: One of the things I really appreciate about your broadcast, if I mentioned earlier, is your sense of humor and that you don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, well, how did? So how did? Is that something that. you've been? Did, was that the way you were when you were, say five or six years old, or ten, or is that something you developed over the years?
3: Well, I, I hope this doesn't sound too whiny, but. Nobody ever took me terribly seriously. Seriously. I mean, you know, um, uh, uh, in grade school, you know, as I said, I wasn't as sharp as quill on the porcupine. And, uh, um, you know, I don't think I was taken very, and I was the youngest of seven very smart people, and they were always pointing out to me, "As, as older siblings will do, what an idiot you are. So, nobody took me terribly seriously. And, and so I never learned to take myself too seriously either. Life is too short to be that serious. It's, and uh, um, I love humor.
1: Yes, I, love I know you laugh. do.
3: I love the other people laugh. I love to make people laugh. I, it's a it, it, gift when someone makes you laugh.
1: It occurs to me that perhaps one of the ailments of the American people is that they take themselves too seriously.
3: At the current moment, that's true. I think that's true. Once upon a time, we didn't take ourselves as seriously, I think, but everything, every, every hill is a hill you want to die on. Yeah. Pick the hill you want to die on. It's, um, not everything that you think is important is really that important. There's certain things that, yeah, I would, I would be, uh, i really willing, willing to risk a lot for, but most things not, you know, um, mm-hmm. maybe it's uh, a sense of, uh, self-preservation that keeps me laughing you know but when it comes to things like abortion <laughs> that's uh, that's one I'm gonna you know that's real serious to me um, uh, there are a number of things but but most of you know I love the verse in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter where it says we know our knowledge is imperfect our prophesying is imperfect you know this idea that somehow on my opinion is infallible I've, I've I've always been disabused of that idea. That I've got an opinion, but that's all it is.
1: How, how your, your life is about to change, too. we got about three and a half minutes here left. Uh, your life is about to change. You were telling me that you're going to be retiring, yep. what, at the end of June?
3: Uh, at the end of June, yeah. And, of course, we're consolidating parishes, as as many, many dioceses are. And, uh, of course, with the COVID deal, who knows who, how long this is going to go on. Um yeah, I will, uh, my parish will cease to exist as a parish entity on, uh, July the 1st of the coming year. I will cease to be a pastor on July the 1st. And, uh, COVID, I have no idea when that's going to cease. I hope soon. Uh, uh Don't we all? So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a leap in the dark. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, the work of the priest, the priesthood is a life. It isn't a job. And so I, I pray that I'll be able to find opportunities to serve you. I especially hope to serve, uh, we have a lot of, of Spanish-speaking people in Illinois, and, and uh, uh, I hope to be able to serve them and to get back into more of that and uh, you know, and not worry so much about the buildings, you know, that uh, a, a priest, uh, when he's a pastor, does a lot of, you know, I, I remember being at a meeting, someone said, uh, stood up and said, Father, I've been in the building trades for thirty years. I looked at him and said, So have I <laughs> so, you, know, you know, that uh when the Bible says I've set you to build up and to tear down, that certainly describes the priesthood. I always remind myself Jesus was in the building trades for eighteen years. So the pastor comes by it naturally. You build a lot of things mm-hmm. and worry about roofs and basements and all that and I'll be glad to be free of that, God willing
1: well I got about two and a half min two minutes, and I want to get your blessing so in about a minute or minute yeah you know, about a minute, could you tell us what can the average layperson do for the church today what what's your take on that i mean
3: oh gosh, what can they do i mean other
1: than pray what, i mean a pray, pray is one is there
3: pray is one yeah what what can they do to be publicly Catholic? You know, to say grace when you're in a restaurant. If we're ever in restaurants again, to be publicly Catholic, and and but to be a kind of Catholic that this is what I am. I I don't know what you are, and I don't want to. I don't want to change it. I don't want to make you be like me. But I want you to see what it means to be a Catholic. To, I always say when Jesus said, uh, "I'll make you fishers of men," he didn't tell us we were going to be the worm. We got to be the tastiest little worm on on the hook. We have to be people who are known for their sense of humor and for their care for others and their ability to listen to the sufferings of others, to be publicly a Catholic. uh, You know, um, it's not an easy time to do that because a lot of people really genuinely hate the church. I think it's because we're probably doing our job better than we were a while ago. Uh, But to be publicly Catholic and to be the best example of the beauty of the Catholic life you can be. More smiles than frowns, more blessings than curses.
1: Speaking of blessings, will you give us your blessing? Because we're just about out of time.
3: Lord, I ask you to bless all the people who are listening to this station. And I ask you to bless Gene and to bless all the people who work with him. Fill the airwaves with your grace. The Lord be with you. Amen. May Almighty God bless you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank and, you. Uh, keep laughing.
1: It yes. And wonder what you're up to. Thank you, Father. God bless you. And remember, when choosing between the values of heaven and the values